Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1, O-U-T-D-O-O-R, and the number one. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. Welcome to Maximize Your Hunt, the podcast dedicated to those who want the most out of their hunting property. This podcast explores land management, habitat improvement, and hunting strategies that will help you maximize your time in the field. Follow along as industry professionals that live and breathe white-tailed deer share their secrets to success. And now, the founder of Whitetail Landscapes, your host, John Teeter. Hi, I'm John Teeter with Whitetail Landscapes. This is Maximize Your Hunt. I've got Rocky Burris back. If you remember Rocky from last time, he's with SA Farm Management out of Tennessee. And uh, he had a very interesting story last go around. He was kind of explaining, you know, his philosophy and tactics and how he breaks down big bucks and how he did, kind of designs his properties. And he's really got an interesting collective, you know, group of ideas. That, and we're going to get into some of that today. So, um, Rocky, welcome to the call. How you been, buddy? I've been doing good, man. Glad to be back. Good, good. So what's what's been going on with you? I know you've been traveling a little bit. I've seen some videos on Instagram and Facebook. What have you been up to? Man, we've been pretty busy trying to reach all these farms before green up, uh, trying to do some design work, you know, plan the attack, build the traps, you know, like I've always say. So uh, we've been doing that. And then the last couple of days, uh, we've gotten a few box stand orders. We, we build these scent-proof box stands. So uh, we, we built two of them in the last two days and we're going tomorrow and the next day to install them and lay out some more prescribed burn areas. So that seems like what we're doing here lately is burning properties and getting everybody ready for the planting season. Do you mind talking a little bit about your box blind build? And I know you've, I saw that maybe you're broaching out and you're maybe using another manufacturer, but the ones that you build yourself, can you kind of describe those in a little detail for the audience? Yeah, well, we do. We're we're with Sportsman Condo Blinds also, just because the price of materials is outrageous right now. So I'm trying to offer people, you know, an option for a cheaper blind. But the ones that we build are, are top-notch. I mean, I, I'm a log home timber frame specialist by trait. Uh, before I started my management business, that's how I made a living. So... We've we've taken the knowledge of being able to build houses and keep them, you know, pretty airtight to, and then being an avid hunter, uh, all the things that you would want in a box blind, we've tried to put into one really cool six by six box blind. Uh, anything bigger, it seems like it's it's a little stretch for one man to hunt, um, where you're on the one side of the blind and it seems like you have to move just to see out the other side or. So we we've really come up with the six six by six blind being almost the perfect size. Where if you did have company, it's not a big deal. It's plenty of room. But then if you were to hunt the box by yourself and wanted to film and things like that, I mean it's a it's a great box uh, for that. Where you can see out of all the windows and 
So we're, we're just trying to uh, incorporate what we know and, and want in a box, ti- box stand into, you know, one box for everybody and then also make it scent tight. So we're, we're closing up all the gaps. We're, we're uh, using this tar caulk to fill in the cracks and putting real windows in it and uh, building a door that shuts against weather stripping. And then we're actually putting in some of them, uh, it's an option, but we're putting ozone, ozone treating machine in the, in the ceiling so that you can treat your air while you're hunting. So if you were to have to open a window and it was downwind to try to get a shot, uh, you can hope, hope for the best and have your wind, your, uh, scent treated, you know, so that maybe he wouldn't catch your wind and give, give you time for that shot. So yeah, that's, that's a- kind of what we're doing. Yeah, that's interesting. Having the ozone in an airtight box blind better get that window open. I'd say because boy, that that's uh, that that definitely is a nice thing. Do, are they insulated or, or not? Well, being a, being all out of you know wood, that that insulation in itself is about all we really want because anything more it gets to be. So we have a velvet season in Tennessee, and everybody can bow hunt out of these instead so they can get they can you don't want them too hot but then a small heater in these things we're we're running a little bitty i mean a one head little cooktop heater and it's heating the whole six to six box so the insulation is on point plenty good to to use a very small heater and heat the whole thing for kids i mean my kids hunt with me and we have one little heater and we we are turn it off half the time we're there because it's so warm so yeah i saw you got snow recently one of the one of the things you post uh i saw that you get you got a decent amount of snow and i'm always we, we got a foot of snow the other day up here in in uh, syracuse i don't know you know you, you bring up another point maybe you need an air conditioner not a heater right maybe there's maybe there's that's the other option that you need well we have believe it or not we have installed one one of my box stands has a AC unit in the window with solar running it. It's crazy. That guy wanted me to do that for us for the velvet hunt because uh, that, that hunt is, you know, it's a pretty special three-day hunt that Tennessee's offering, especially in the CWD zones. Yeah. Those are those are offering a rifle hunt during that velvet hunt. So uh, a lot of people want to try to pull it off, and it's hot usually. Yeah, and that's something that I have to experience up here in the north. So, uh, yeah, good luck to you Southerners when you're you're hunting those early season hunts like that. All right, well, you know, I, I think that's really interesting. And the fact that you've been on properties uh, burning and uh, obviously doing evaluation plans and kind of getting through the process of just helping people along the way. I want to talk today about things that you're seeing in the field, and we could generalize a little bit, but you want to talk about property flaws or property issues that you're seeing on a consistent basis and, and that maybe the, the top three that, that you think apply or that you've recognized across different properties, maybe you've been on recently or just over time. Why, why don't you dig into maybe one, one or one or two of those to start? And we'll, we'll kind of, we'll kind of talk about them. Well, a lot of these properties, uh, people I think are, are gaining these properties or buying these properties and, and really just looking for somebody to help them have a plan to attack a, a management plan, something that they're not just doing busy work and it's all doesn't have a rhyme or reason. So I, I'm running into, you know, when we draw up these plans for people, their access is usually the biggest thing. I mean, they have 
one certain way they can get in. And then that's the only way they go in. And they don't understand that, you know, that's killing half their property or whatever, you know, depending on how they're doing it. A lot of, a lot of these access are straight up the middle. So I think the number one thing that I really noticed that needs help and it's a definite flaw to the property is the access. You have to think about the deer's wind. And a lot of people are thinking about their wind and how they need to hunt and what their wind needs to be to be able to hunt. But they're not thinking about that deer where he may be bedded and the wind that he would want to travel in. And that's huge because, I mean, you could have your wind perfect, but if he's going on the opposite side of a bedding area because that's the way the wind tells him to go, you never see that deer. And you're hunting every day, and you have the great wind for you, but not good for him. So a lot of people, I think, are when I walk the properties with these guys and and show them why I do certain things that I'm doing and, and what I'm thinking about, they're like, oh, my goodness. I never thought about his win. I'm always thinking about my win. So a lot of these times that you're going to have the perfect setup, you're going to have his win perfect and your win okay. And that's how you get a shot at these older deer. I think that is absolutely the right way to look at it. And I, I actually don't think I've heard a lot of people phrase it in the way you just did. And thinking about it in that manner of what the deer demands versus what we we as hunters anticipate and, and not putting the two of those together and making sure that, you know, the opportunity that that deer has as a result of being able to win you potentially is, is critical because he's putting, or that deer is putting, you know, itself in the best condition for safety and security. And, and I think a lot of people don't, don't pay attention to that. So it definitely a, a flip of the way to look at it. So, all right. Anything else on that? Because I think that's a, that was a great one. Yeah, well, I don't know if even the way I said it was can a lot of people can comprehend it just by hearing it. I mean, so basically, you got to think about this deer. He he's gonna he's using his nose to survive, to to find a mate, to do everything, and especially when you're talking mature deer or the the one percent deer like you talk about. So this nose deal is is huge because. It tells you exactly which way he's going to want to travel the area, especially when you have designated bedding areas, designated food sources. It's going to tell you which side of the food plot he's going to want to use, the woods that he uses, which side of the the uh, bedding areas he will go down to scent check that area. And a lot of times we as hunters, especially me when I was, you know, starting out, I mean, I didn't ever think about what he was going to need and what he was preferring. I just had to get to the spot and know that deer normally come from this area and I don't want my wind blowing there. Well, it didn't matter uh, what I call his crop dusting. I mean, if you walk through and you crop dusted his bedding area to get to that location so your wind was right, your hunt's over and you just started. So, I mean, it's a it's something that, when you're designing a property, uh, I think it's a huge flaw that people don't think about. you got to have your property designed to where your access is in and into your spot with your wind never having a chance to cross his area that he would be in. And and that, that kind of leads into, you know, a second flaw is cover and bed areas. I mean, those are 
huge because that helps you, especially when you build them, that helps you know where he should be. And if he's in the area and he's showed up on camera a couple of times, like the past when we recorded, and it, it, those those trail cameras tell you when he's around, and and especially last year when he was around. So you're banking you're banking on him being there. You got to make sure your access is perfect, or you're just educating him that you're hunting. When you're building some of the bedding areas and you're taking into account your access on the property. How do you how do you kind of juxtapose those two features? So you've got this, you know, defined bedding area, and and I'm assuming there's a lot of things that that make that bedding area, you know, precisely location you want to build off of. Do you start with the bedding area and then build in the access, or do you start with the access then build in the bedding area? It maybe it's a chicken or egg conversation. How, how does that work for you? So a lot of the properties lack this is and that's that's why i put it in the top three of my clauses because a lot of properties just do not have bedding on it there are a lot of mature woods they're whatever so when you don't have any bedding areas that are already established that you know you can recognize and and you can kind of do it with the design you can put those bedding areas where you think you need them by doing habitat manipulation, doing timber TSI, doing a prescribed burn, whatever you need to do to enhance that area, even building the beds themselves, we've done it all. Uh, but it, you know, when you do that kind of stuff, it changes your property from being a two-star hotel, as some people would say, you know, to having that one area being a five-star hotel. And, and the deer just especially mature deer, are just not going to go to the two-star when they can go to a five-star. So I do get handcuffed when it comes to bedding areas that are established. Uh, you don't really want to try to erase that, in my opinion. I, I want to enhance that even more to encourage more bedding, more more safety, you know, just basically make those deer feel even safer and, and use it but then when that's recognized, you design around it, kind of like a food plot. You you want to find the tree that you're going to go in if you're going to hang a ladder or a lock on and then design your food plot around that. If you're going to do a box stand, sure, you can design your food plot and then with a box stand placement and design wherever you want. But uh, a lot of times the tree kind of helps you design those things, especially when it comes to food sources and just like that on property. I mean, that bedding area can tell you how you have to even go to that area to hunt. And if you can, I mean, I think that, that, you know, the access part is huge. And then bedding areas, you got to have bedding areas. I like to build two bedding areas per food plot because I like the opportunity when that wind switches, all he does is use my food plot to get to the next bedding area. Great point. that right there gets so many big deer killed because it really makes him, I mean, he's going to change where he's bedded and he, all he has to do is cross that food plot to get to that opposite wind. Those wind change days are great to hunt because it makes deer get up. I know that we probably didn't want to get into this piece of it, but that example you just brought up where a deer is now going to utilize an open space like that and going from one bedding area to the other bedding area 
Is there anything you're doing to make him cross that bed or that food plot area to transition from, I'll call it like a dumbbell shape where you've got, you know, a food plot uh, or excuse me, a, a bedding area on one end, a bedding area on the other, and they're transitioning through that, that corridor in between. Is there anything you're doing in the food plot settings to, to make them utilize those, those open areas a little bit more? Yeah, well, well, that that gets into the food plot technology. I mean that that part is really big, and and I'm I'm big on telling deer what to do, and and what I love to do is direct traffic. I'll tell it to every client that I've ever met. I like to tell them what to do. I like to direct their traffic. So my board, especially when you're pushing out a new plot or something like that. I'll use the debris or the cover or whatever we had to clear out to make these food plots as walls on my borders of food plots. You can feather the edge. Uh, I don't, if you don't know what feather the edge is, I know you do, but people listening, I mean, feathering the edge would be hinge cutting trees lower to the ground, closer to the food plot, and then get a little bit higher just to block the, the site of the food plot. But when, and then leave breaks in that brush line or in that feathered edge, that deer is, it's going to be obvious that's where they come in and out. And what I'll do, if it's a, if it's not obvious to the deer, in my opinion, I'll usually do my food plot, have a soft edge or that feathered edge or that wall on the edges of the plot so deer can't see into the food plot. See, that I think that's a huge, huge thing that i see mistakes all the time people plant the green fields and different food plots and it's just wall-to-wall food plot and there's no soft edge there's no i mean the deer can stand 100 yards deep 50 yards deep in the woods and in the cover and see the whole plot he doesn't have to and if you don't create the wall of cover of the wall even with the plot itself you can plant corn but never clean the corn all the way off to the edges. I, I always want the deer to have to come in the field to see who's in it. And that's, that's huge. And, of course, direct traffic, like I, ever, I did a long way to tell you. But teal or disc from my break going into the bedding area, I always leave a break to go into the bedding area. And you usually have habitat cells in that bedding area that lead to that break. But then I'll, t- I'll d- till my food plot, no matter if it's a great food plot or not, I'll till it down a trail leading to that other food plot or t- to that other bedding area through my food plot, past a scrape tree, whatever I want, you know, different things that occupy his time during the day. But, you know, I want him to waste a bunch of time on me when he's moving in the daylight hours. Can you, Rocky, can you back up? Because it was a little choppy, but you said that you go – down a trail system and actually you go in and till so it's bare ground and that creates yeah. kind of that that movement pattern that visual movement pattern that they they recognize they want to sniff smell see what available available food comes up etc in that transition area from one point to another point yes yes that tilled ground i don't know what it is but it is like a magical tool it is like a road deer will not they cannot not walk it it could be if they're traveling of any kind of sense, it, you know, of course they'll spread out in the food plot and eat all over. But when they're moving and they're walking, they'll just walk straight to that dirt path and walk it. Now, you can plant it green and do like a wheat path or whatever so that late winter it's just a wheat road and then they'll walk the wheat road. 
But I've got trail camera picture after trail camera picture of deer taking those paths and and not walking anywhere else, just walking straight down those paths. This brings me to another topic, and, and it's something I'll probably explain a little bit more in another podcast, but when I'm working through the same – I do something very similar to you, which is kind of interesting. When I'm coming up with my trail systems, when I'm establishing a trail system, I'm always – skidding my feet through the woods clearing off all the leaf debris to create that interest level and a minute you know the minute when you you open up that mineral soil they're in it they're smelling it and they're starting to use those trail systems like i i do that all the time and anytime i create a new trail system i'm not going in hinge cutting trees so they they go down a trail sometimes i do that but normally i'm just clearing out a pathway and that pathway is enough to get them interested it's exactly to your point that you're making with the food plot system so Really interesting tip, man. I, I've, I've not heard many people talk about that. So kudos to you to come up with a cool idea. Well, it definitely works. And, and like you were saying, scooting your feet to move the leaves or, or the fuel off the ground out of the way to that bare dirt. I mean, we'll walk, we'll use blowers to do that in our habitat trails. I'll, I want it to visually be pretty obvious where I want deer to walk, and then I'll take a blower and clear the debris in that area and you'll be surprised even when you're doing prescribed burns if you go back and walk a day or two later at your prescribed burn all of your fire breaks will be just covered in deer tracks because they can't help but walk in that bare dirt they love the smell of it they love i don't know what it is but it's it is a huge attraction and a and definitely a way to tell deer where to walk all right, let's get into maybe a, a third flaw. So, so we hit hit on the first one, axis, and we talked about not having enough cover bedding, and then you came up with some design concepts, which you know I, I think were really interesting. What about the food piece of it? Because I know that that's the your third topic. So, when I design these food plots and these properties, period, I put all my eggs in one one spot. You know, I don't want. I don't want him having to go anywhere but right where I've planned him to be on a certain wind. So I'll build my food plots with a water source almost always. Um, I try to stack it all there. I'll have a scrape tree, a food source, a water source, uh, you know, everything, all my habitat trails feeding out of the bedding areas going straight to that same, you know, same area. And then all of that, I just, predict deer to be traveling all where i'm telling them to travel then my access and my stand is set up for it to never bother that area and never bother any of that trail system and when you do that you can slip in and slip out and never they don't know they're being hunted deer act like a lot of people never witness (laughs) i mean you can go in and just see deer laying in the food plot just i mean it's just a magical experience when deer just do not feel human pressure and i know they feel all kinds of pressures during the year but that human pressure that hunt that hunter we make so many mistakes we leave so much ground scent and everything else if you design these things to where it's right then you'll just see a whole nother level of deer and the food is huge in that so i like i said earlier i don't want deer looking into my food plots Uh, i want them to have to enter that food plot work that food plot in order to see the food plot and see who's in it so that gives you more chance to shoot the deer if that was a desired deer 
everything. And you're seeing a lot more deer because they can't check downwind and see in the plot and, you know, basically just never enter it. They just, that's what all the big deer will try to do. They just go downwind to that plot, look at it from the, from a distance and then travel on. And a lot of people aren't getting to see those big deer because they're sitting there staring at a field full of does and the, the buck had already checked it from, you know, 50 yards deep, never showed up. I'm going to put my two cents into this. And I think on highly pressured ground, one of the philosophies that I employ with my clients is precisely what you're talking about, compartmentalizing those food sources by edge feathering or, you know, using some type of crop on the edge and segregating. And I know one thing you do for sure, because I've seen it, you do snake-shaped food plots. Yeah. And, and I'm not sure that's predominantly what you do. I know that's one of the philosophies because I've seen video of, of you on your own property doing that. Can you explain a little bit about shapes and, and just, just lay out a little more there and then uh, we can, we can kind of probably end this. Okay. Well, uh, one, if I have a, a clean slate, I'm always trying to do like a bean shape or something that has a curve in it, a pinch point in the middle. And, you know, you could have bedding on each end and have deer travel the food plot to get one bedding to the other. And then in that pinch point is a great stand location, especially for bow hunting food plot designs. Um, when it comes to gun hunting, you know, I do more of a, a turkey foot or something like that so that you got, you know, a right and left and a straight ahead food plot that I just try to design according to what the the client wants. But uh, in Tennessee, we do a lot of gun hunting. In the South, I guess you, most of your seasons are gun seasons. Now, when you go Midwest and stuff, you're going to be bow hunting more. So I, I enjoy filming deer. So I, I like the bean food plot to where the pinch points kind of squeeze deer right by you. And and they and any time they enter the food plot on one end, they can't see the other end. Uh, even if you have to plant screens, and when I say screens like Egyptian weed or sorghum. Uh, we use it a lot, and it, especially when there's big fields, you know, we break it up and make it into small food plots, mini plots all. It could be one big 10-acre field, but I want to use screens to basically create a travel corridor of food, and they have to work each one to see who's in it. So. It's just, it's basically showing him enough to make him want to come into the plot, but not enough to know what's around everywhere. So he has to use the whole food plot. And then he's spending a lot of time out there and giving you the opportunity to harvest him. So that's, you know, when it comes to food plot design, I just, I just want them to feel safe, feel like nobody can see them uh, when they're in the food plot. When you, when you design that, it seems like you got deer out there a lot. When it's wide open and deer can check the food plot from in the woods, deer don't stay in the plot very long either because they know predators can see them also. So uh, those those feathered edges, those even if you have to plant screens on your borders or whatever, those things really, really help as far as keeping deer in the food plot for a long amount of time to even give you the opportunity to make a buck want to come out and bump them around that you're, you're hunting. Great point. Great layout. Great, great explanation. Exactly what you need to do to make 
make a deer feel comfortable and, and ultimately that's the goal and, and in order to harvest that deer of course you know your tactics there make it a lot easier anything else you want to round out with this anything sticking in your mind you know that's just you want to talk about well um i can't harp enough about the access i think that's my number one and access doesn't always have to be you walking in doesn't have to be you you know riding an electric cart in it could be you driving your truck in a lot of people don't understand the whole concept that a, a big deer has a negative read when it he has so many negative reads that shuts down his daylight movement yes he he will always move in the daylight but he won't be big movements so a lot of, like I, the last one I was in Mississippi, the guy had an access road right through the center of the property. He had bedding areas on the right and bedding areas on the left and all this at the front of the property. And he was, you know, certain times he was hunting the back of the property and he always walked in. He just didn't want the pressure of driving in. He thought vehicle was, you know, the smells and all that. But I tried to, encourage him to use his vehicle because I outfit in Nebraska and the only way I can get clients out of the stand is to drive in with a truck because if we ever try to just slip out and bump deer and all that it, it's over the next day you see half as many deer the next day after that you see a, a third of that it just shuts down the movement so any, what we do in Nebraska is I, I literally drive the truck to the stand, blow the deer out with the truck and headlights, and then the guy gets out of the stand, just takes five, six steps right into my truck, and then we turn around and drive out. And the next, I mean, within an hour, deer are back on camera. So it's just, it's a different read. It may be a negative read in a sense, but it's a, it's a, they know that it's not some animal. They know it's not a hunter. They think it's a ve- it's just a vehicle, and that it's just a different type read. So I think I can't I can't say that it's always great to just drive in everywhere on ATV and stuff like that when they never hear one. But if you've got a property that you cannot access the back and you think some of your best hunting's in the back. You might want to design a parking area and a drive-in area and try to do that throughout the planting season and the summer and checking on stuff and get those deer used to you doing it so that uh, you can actually have success because without educating half your property. I think that's a great thing to end on. Great great suggestion, recommendation. Some of the things you just talk about, uh, talked about were things that uh, Todd Chippy and I had hit, hit on in an Access podcast earlier and i think that's a great example particularly in that one client situation where you had to make a difficult thing better and of course he's going to benefit from that recommendation so rocky thanks for being on i I can't wait to have you on again i'm not sure what our next topic is but you know i'm all ears because i know that you're doing a lot of stuff with various clients and you've just got a lot to contribute to this so i'm uh greatly uh appreciative that you're that you're back so we'll talk again soon all right man i appreciate the time we'll Talk to you later. Maximize Your Hunt is a production of Whitetail Landscapes. For more information on how John Teeter and his team of experts can help you maximize your hunt, check out whitetaillandscapes.com.
www.thepowerhouse.com. 